Father in heaven, thank you for being with us, and we pray that once more your spirit would lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so now we're going to talk about just some practical uh, tips and keys to success for public evangelism, and I'm going to be speaking about four different areas, and the first one is following a calendar. Now, um, the idea of following a calendar is that you are actually planning ahead. And this is sort of like, uh, you know, any type of organization, you start with the end and you say, okay, now how long is it going to take me to do that? And you back into when you need to start that thing. And then what do I need to do to get to that? You back into that and start that thing. You really should be starting, you know, around four months before your meetings with meeting preparation. And you could say six months, but I'm just giving you a, a four month. What I happen to know by experience is that many of our churches start about three weeks before the meetings begin. So this is one of the reasons why we don't have very successful meetings. Um, I'm going to just talk a little bit about what types of things we're talking about here. Four months prior, you want to assemble your team. Now, I'm not giving a lot of the details in this section because I know that uh, we still have a public evangelism manual that's floating around here in the Michigan Conference, and Wes Peppers, uh, Pastor Peppers, is um, making that available for this series, Jesus on Prophecy, that the conference is doing in the fall. Um, and I know that there, because I helped develop it, there's a whole uh, list of team members that you would want to, it's basically your coordinators your registration coordinator, your greeter coordinator, your uh, prayer coordinator, your visitation coordinator, all your different coordinators of your team. And all those team members, you can get right uh, off of that uh, file. But you want to start assembling that team four months at least before your meetings begin. Because they're going to be doing, they themselves are going to be doing things to prepare for that kind of So you need to get your team going. And the most important members of your team are, number one, your speaker. Okay, and I say speaker because the ideal is to have one speaker. The next ideal is two speakers. The next ideal is three speakers. You get the idea? The fewer speakers, the more success you will generally have in your meetings. I know that some people think it doesn't matter and we're trying to get people involved, so we're going to have five speakers. Here's what happens when you have multiple speakers. You gain a certain momentum as a speaker. You gain a certain relationship as a speaker. And you are building on things. And I can't tell you how many times uh, we had meetings and I would call Mark or, you know, we would talk after a meeting. Oh, how'd it go tonight? Well, I don't know. I doubt anybody is coming back. You know, like you just really think that it just, you just blew it. I went. 20 minutes over. I mean, nobody is coming back. You know, I was sweating at the end. I was losing my mind. I couldn't remember anything. You know, it's over. They always come back. Not all of them, but <laughs> most of them. And so, and they bring friends oftentimes. And, but you know what I do the next night? Well, I fix it. If I said something that was a little off, or if I totally missed a point that was really critical... I fix it. I, I make sure and I incorporate it. But I can't do that when speaker B is next and speaker C is next and speaker D is next. It just is very difficult to keep the same line of thought and the same, um, you know, smooth momentum. So I'm not against it. I, if that's the way a church wants to do it, I, I will support it. But I'm just telling you that the best is the fewer the speakers, the better. Okay? But besides the speaker... Your other key leader is your meeting coordinator. And what I mean by that is you have one coordinator over all the coordinators. And this coordinator is making sure that the calendar is moving, that all the coordinators underneath them, registration, whatever, are, are getting the right information, getting trained, uh, have, have no issues, and they're able to do what they need to do, etc. 
and your speaker is oftentimes the pastor. And so everybody wants to come up and bug the pastor about all the details of the meeting. That's the nice thing about having a coordinator is that instead of that, you tell the coordinator tells everyone, do not go to the pastor. He's got to worry about the people and about his messages. And if you've got other questions or details, you bring them to me. I'm the coordinator. That's the way that uh, you can deflect some of that and keep the pastor or whoever the speaker is on task. You also want to begin training your coordinator. So you assemble your team, but you can't just tell somebody, hey, you're the registration coordinator. They need to know what they're doing. So there needs to be a process by which you at least meet individually with the coordinators and make sure they know what they're doing. Again, I point you to the training manual, the Jesus on Prophecy training manual that has um, all the team members and a list of, um, of tasks and ideas for each coordinator. You also want to, four months prior, work on your budget. Okay, now let's talk about budget for a moment. As a general rule, you are going to spend most of your budget on advertising. Um, I would say, you know, the, the rule that Mark Finley gave years ago that I still say publicly, I don't know if it always pans out this way exactly, but it's pretty close, is 75% of your budget is on advertising. And if you do it in the church, the meeting in the church, you don't have any cost for a hall, then you've got 25% that's on your supplies and materials, okay, and, and mailings, things like that. Uh, not, not advertising mailings. I'll talk about a different type of mailing in a minute. But anyway, um, but if you decide to get a neutral hall, there's cost to that. So what, as a general rule, you will, that will take up about a quarter of your budget. Your supplies and materials will take a quarter and your advertising will be half. If you use the church, then you take that quarter that you used on the hall and you put it toward advertising because you need every bit of that to try to get the same number of people or close to the church that you would have gotten in the hall. Okay. Yes. Okay. If it's a neutral hall, 50% advertising, 25% hall, 25% other supplies and materials. If it's in the church, 75% advertising, 25% supplies and materials. So that's a general idea. I, I sometimes probably went 80% advertising. I mean, I, I just... <laughs> As much advertising as I can get, that's, that's to me where I try to spend my money. Now, I'm not saying that I don't spend on other things, but I, I really want to make sure that I have a crowd. The most important thing to me as a speaker is to have a crowd. Because the more number of people you have, you're going to hope to baptize about 10% of your opening night crowd. Maybe not those exact people, but that number. So if your opening night number is 50 guests then you're hoping to baptize five people from the end of the meetings. Your second night, you're not going to have all those 50 people back. You might have 30, 35 of those people back, and you're going to have 20 other people. The first two or three nights, you've got rotating new people. Okay? So over the course of the whole meetings, you might have 100 guests, but, you're, but they're coming at different times. Okay? Um, but anyway... So whatever your crowd is, it's going to determine what your final result is. So that's why advertising to me is, uh, is highly critical. So you need to develop your budget. You need to develop advertising materials. Um, and this is all, all happening at the same time. About four months prior, you're starting to work on all these things. Now, you should have an advertising coordinator. Okay, that's one of the coordinators, one of your team members. And when I say develop advertising materials, I mean somebody's got to start working on the handbill. Okay, that's the big brochure that goes in the mail. And um, I like to develop customized glow tracks when I do meetings. So, you know, small tracks that are much less expensive that have the exact same cover as the handbill, but might have different stuff on the inside, but they're still advertising the meetings. And um, so that needs designed. Okay, so you've got to, you know, work with somebody on that kind of thing if you're going to do it. At a minimum, every church will end up doing handbills. Uh, I would recommend. 
Um, but you want to get that stuff going because it takes a little time to get it all approved and in place. Now, if it takes you a month to get all that worked out, then about three months prior, you can order your advertising materials and make sure that those orders are in. And then also at about three months prior, you can go live with pre-registration. Now, I highly recommend that whether you're doing a meeting through a big meeting of the Michigan Conference or a meeting for your own local church, that you have a website that, that takes live or takes pre-registrations, okay? And that you offer a gift for those who pre-register. So whether that is a, a DVD or a book or magazine or, you know, set of books or whatever you want to offer, um, you want it to be something that is seems to have some appeal, obviously. And by doing that, you can increase your pre-registrations. Let me tell you what pre-registrations are. You know, the, the bottom line with soul winning is names. You need names. And so if you get more people to pre-register, guess, guess how many people who pre-register are going to actually come? That's pretty close. Yep. I would usually say 50. About 50%. You would think if they took the time to pre-register that they're going to come. But no, about 50% come. But what, what does that mean? Think about that. If you had not done the pre-registration, the same people probably would have come. But you would not have had any of those other names which you are going to follow up on, right? You're going to try to get, if they don't ever come, you're going to try to get Bible studies from them. So those are names. So I would strongly encourage all of your advertising points to the pre-registration site and, and highlights what they're going to get and tries to get them to go to that pre-registration site. Emphasize that and you will get a lot of names. So you go live with pre-registration three months. You haven't started advertising yet, but you want that site to be live. If you order handbills through somebody like Hamblin Company, they can put it on their own Prophecy Seminars site, and that could be put on your materials, and people can go there and pre-register. I found that their pre-registration percentages were nowhere close to when we did Unlock Revelation here. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, other than the fact that we did internet advertising, and we really emphasized it in all of our advertising materials, the website, and the gift that they would get, and all that. So we had a higher percentage of people pre-registering than I ever got when we did, like, prophecyseminars.org or whatever that they have and they, you go and you put in your site or your location and then it shows you a place and you can pre-register on the Hamblin site but not as near as many people pre-register. So if you can have somebody build you your own page that takes pre-registrations even if it's not you know the conference site, if it's a year that they're not doing it, it's worth it to me. But you obviously need to work to find somebody who can do that for you. Um, and then about two months prior now, we're, we're, we've gone from four to two, you need to order other meeting supplies. You know, if you're a children's program director, you need to make sure you have the materials for the children's program. If you are going to be having uh, resources you're going to sell, you're going to need to buy those resources. If you're going to have handouts and, and notebooks and what have you, you're going to need to get all of that. All the supplies you need for your meeting, every coordinator thinks it through and you instruct them two months prior and they need to go ahead and make those orders so we have it all well ahead of time and organized and ready to go. Also two months prior, you begin prayer initiatives. So you're now getting into the heat of it. The church members as a whole, you know, you're telling them about it, but they don't get really ramped up until you get to about that two-month point, okay? If you try to ramp them up six months ahead, four months ahead, whatever, it's just a long time to keep them really uh, jazzed about it. So two months is about right. You start getting them really praying, okay? One of the initiatives that I always did when I was here, and I would encourage you to do something like it, is Operation Andrew. You know, Andrew invited his brother to come and see Jesus, and so we use that to talk about the power of invitation, the power of inviting people, and that this is a method that was used to lead people to Jesus. We need to do the same. And then you hand out, you create a little Operation Andrew card, 
and you have everybody write the name of one or two or three people they know that they are going to invite to the meetings. And then they begin for the next month to pray for those names. And you talk about it from the front and during prayer meeting and what have you. That you're, And then there may be other prayer initiatives that you have at prayer meetings, special prayer, seasons of prayer, or special times of prayer, whatever other initiatives you might want to have. But at a minimum, you want to start praying for these names that you're going to invite and do that two months prior where you kick off Operation Andrew and people start thinking about personal invitation. Remember what you're going to tell them. That we need to invite like we're not mailing out a single handbill. We would have nobody come if we didn't invite people personally. So we've got to invite like crazy. And then you mail as many as you can. But you don't even need to tell them that. Then, for the two months prior, starting at two months prior and all the way up to the meetings, you distribute the small, if you have them, customized glow. Okay? So you're getting those out ahead of time. Now, it used to be that we did not advertise public evangelistic meetings until about five days before the meeting started. Historically, we would start public evangelistic meetings on a Friday night, and we would not uh, send flyers into the mail until Monday. The reason being, we didn't want them to get it on Friday take it to their church, and their pastor holds it up on Sunday morning and says, you really don't want to go to this by having it show up on Monday. Then there's no church service between there and Friday, and they at least get to see opening night. Well, the environment is different in most places now to where most are not even going to bother with that kind of thing. And it's and even if you happen to lose a few because of some, you know, talk that would go on from, from prejudice, you're probably going to gain more than that of people who need the extra time to be able to plan for what they're going to because people are so busy with stuff. So they need to see it a little more ahead of time than four days ahead of time to be able to be thinking about it and decide, yes, I'm going to go. So that's why I'm fine with those little glow tracks starting to go out two months ahead. Now we tried six months ahead initially it really didn't bear much more fruit because it's just too far away. So two months is good. Also at two months, mass advertising. Okay, now you may not have the ability to do this, but I can tell you that this is where you would if you did. Members can at least do yard signs, begin doing yard signs at two months. But if you have the ability to do social media advertising, internet, radio, or billboards, all of that happens uh, between that zero and two months. Billboards usually cost too much to be up for a full two months, so we would do them one month ahead, but the others can start two months ahead. So all the advertising, mass advertising and glow starts going out at two months. Okay? That means you gotta be thinking ahead, right? I mean, you can't just all of a sudden, oh, we're gonna have me. I mean, I get people, I find out you're just now turning in your handbill order, and you, you know, like, like you should be already sitting on handbills, passing them out, and you're just now putting in your order? You're not going to have anybody come. What do you, you know, like, if we're going to do it, let's plan ahead and make sure we do it right. Right? right? I'm glad you agree with me. Then, at about one month, we'd start distributing handbills. Now, glow tracks, when do they start going out? Handbills, that's the full guy. You're not going to order near as many of those as you will. You might order glow tracks, and you might order 10,000 of those or 30,000 of those if you're in a larger church. But then the, the handbills you're going to be sending into the mail, you're going to order extras. And you might order 1,000 extras or 500 extras. So you're not going to have as many. Those are for specific people more. You could do some mass distribution, but more often than not, those are going to be for maybe available at other events that you have going on during that period or that you're going to be handing out to members to give to their friends, neighbors, etc. Um, and then, what's that? To give to the people they're yes, yes. To give to the people they're praying for. And I'll, I'll get into a little more of the details of, of the pre-meeting, during-meeting, post-meeting uh, afterwards, but I'm just kind of giving you an idea of the timing of everything. So then... You mail letters 
and handbills to former members and interests three weeks prior. So you're not going to leave anybody out, right? You're trying to get as much of a crowd as you can. So you're going to mail letter and handbill to former members and interests that you have on your interest list. Three weeks. Then the mass mailing of handbills will happen one to two weeks prior to the meeting. Okay. This is the one where, you know, you do whatever you can within your budget. I'd recommend somewhere around 50000 Actually, I'd recommend, that's not a fair way to say it because everybody's area is different. I would recommend within a 20-minute drive of your church. Okay? Because people will generally drive 20 minutes to church. And if that is... More than 50,000, then I would just do 50,000 perhaps, just to see how that goes. If that is much less, then you can stretch your boundaries a little bit if you're in a rural area um, because they are willing to drive a little further and what have you. If you're worried about getting into other areas, I can't, uh, other church territories, I can't tell you, but I believe that, uh, because I haven't spoken to him, but I believe this about Pastor Peppers, that he's doing the same thing that I did when I was here as evangelism director. And that was, I would tell churches, I don't care how far you mail it. I don't care if they get three or four different handbills from different churches in their mailbox. That's okay with me. Um, if, if, and especially in non-simultaneous years, that could happen. They could get one in September and another one in October from two different churches because there's just a little area where they cross over when they're doing their radius. I'm okay with that. We don't need to be competing in terms of that. Um, I think when you're talking about door-to-door activity, it's nice to have some boundaries so that you know where each is responsible for getting things out. But when you're doing mailings, I say do a radius, whatever you think is a comfortable amount, and if you, if you go over, it's okay. Um, and then opening night, you're going to give your pre-registration gift and a full schedule of topics. You generally haven't given them a full schedule in the handbill. So the first night, they can get that full schedule. I saw your hand. Just on that radius, is there any stats on, on how far in terms of mileage-wise you would go out or time-wise you would go out? Like That's why I said, as a general rule, I try to use 20-minute drive. Yeah. But, but like I said, in a rural area, they're a little more comfortable driving a further distance. You know, a country mile is a little bit long, or, you know, it takes a little longer. So um, if you need to go a little further to have a little bit bigger mailing in order to try and get a little bit higher number. I mean, I'll tell you, the like when I was in Onaway, Dale, um, it was not an easy place to do a meeting. But quite frankly, at the time, the church was struggling. Um, and I said to myself, I need to treat this place as if I'm starting a brand new church here. <laughs> because it was really spinning on some things. And I said, you know what? There's only a thousand people living in this town or less. There's not a lot, you know, beyond, but I'm going to mail to a outside area. Also, I'm going to find some place in this little town outside of the church. And I'm going to do this. And I found the old veterans building and we, and we did it there actually. And there are two people who I baptized at that meeting right there. They're still coming to Cambie. So even in a small town, you know, you can, and we had probably 20 people opening night, something like that. Um, it quickly got down to 14 and 10 and whatever, but we, we did have a few baptisms from it. So even small rural areas, you can expand it somewhat and, and get, you know, a little more. But in a, in a more uh, urban area, you know, 40 or 50,000 handbills, I would do it. And, and some areas don't get even one per thousand, like was said, so you might need to factor it in. Um, then during the meetings, on your calendar, this is, again, this is all on your calendar that you're laying out. So you're planning ahead what you're going to do every week from four months to after the meeting. Okay, You're going to mail a letter to the guests each week. I recommend that, but that's up to you. Um, nightly topics are going to be on your calendar, and you're going to have that all laid out for each night uh, during the meeting. You're going to have your visitation, at least certain areas of visitation, like when you visit pre-registrants and other things, which I'll talk about. You're going to put that on your calendar, uh, the visitation after. 
And then baptismal preparation. Um, I like to, I encourage baptismal classes to start toward the end of an actual meeting and to continue after the meeting. Put that on your calendar. What nights are we going to do it or what days, what times are we going to do it? You're planning to baptize, by the way, because you're also going to put baptism dates on your calendar four months before your meetings start because you know that you're going to have some baptisms and you're going to put that on your calendar, maybe a couple dates that you can offer. So you, that way you don't put other stuff over top of it or whatever, and you're planning ahead for having some baptisms. I see your hand, but I'm just going to get through this real quick. Then phase two meeting topics. After a regular meeting, I never just stop. I slow down. So instead of going for times a week, I might go twice a week. And I do uh, Daniel or something like that. And I start inviting them to this new meeting during the current meeting. And I actually sign them up so that I can find out while they're still coming to the first meeting, if they're not signed up, I can go and talk to them and find out, hey, I noticed you weren't signed up for the Daniel class. Is, you know, and, oh, well, I can't make it to every night. Well, that's okay. You don't need to make it to every night. You can still sign up and have the I'll still get the materials. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. And you get people to sign up and you work them while you have them because you're going to still have them afterwards. We, we have a very low tolerance for stuff, so we just like it to be over. But the truth is that if you can... If people still really want to be with you, you should keep them with you because there's going to be a much better chance for them to make a baptism decision if you keep them with you. They need that extra time, and it's very helpful. Um, discipleship mentoring, I put that in there because after baptism, you're going to need discipleship mentoring to begin happening with the discipleship handbook or some other uh, type of process. And then you also want to put into your calendar after and before the meetings, other events. Before the meeting, you have bridge events, cooking schools or supper clubs, uh, concerts or socials. You also will do those things after sometimes to help keep them involved in the church. So you want things like that to be a place where you can point to the meetings coming up. So your other department ministries can help to you know, put on an event that happens before. And so you should put a few meetings that happen in that three-month span prior to the, meet, the, the evangelistic meetings beginning where there's other types of events that you can have that we call bridge events that you can use to invite people into the meetings. All of these are just little things. You have to add them all up, though, and they, they as a whole, become very important because you don't know from one year to the next which thing will be the means of bringing that extra person or two or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? You don't know, so you have to be thorough in what you're doing. And that starts with having a calendar and planning ahead. So now I saw a hand before I go to the next one. Where was the hand? Yes. What was after the visitation? Uh, after vegetation? Visitation. visitation. Um, after visitation was baptism preparation. Yeah. That's baptismal classes, and then baptismal classes always end up leading to some personal meetings for baptismal preparation as well. But you should have a period of time that you have there where you know how long it's going to take to do the baptismal preparation. Okay, then, before the series. The goal before the series is what? Build attendance. Build attendance. You want to build your attendance. You don't build the attendance during the meeting. You build the attendance before the meeting. So how do we do it? Number one, you invite all your church event interests. How do you know who your church event interests are? Not, th not this event. Other events. It's your interest coordinator. What if you don't have an interest coordinator? <laughs> well, you can still try. You can go to the health ministry team and say, hey, you had a cooking school a couple months ago. Do you have still the, did you keep registering? You can try to go and, and do it. And, and I would recommend it. It's nice if that stuff is all funneling in somewhere, but you go and look at all the ministries you talk to on the church board and then individually as needed. You talk to your Pathfinder director. Are any of the parents 
not Adventist that you think might benefit from this, that you think could be a, you know, and you make sure that the event or the department ministries have handbills so that they can be, you know, inviting people when that time comes. Um, you make sure that any events that they have, that you, that you have their interests, any that you think would be appropriate, which is in most case most of them, to send out an invitation. And you make sure that everyone gets an invitation. It could be that if you have a health ministry team, that they want to send a personal letter with the flyer from the health ministry team. You know, we've really appreciated you coming to our cooking school, to whatever. Um, you know, we believe that health is not just physical, but spiritual also. And this is a wonderful uh, series on the revelation of Jesus that we think could be a, a real blessing to you. We hope that you can come. And some, you know, signed somebody that they might recognize from the health ministry team. Whatever it is, you just have to make sure that you're inviting everybody you ever met. <laughs> By that I mean the church, okay? Invite Bible study interests. That should be obvious, but it isn't always, but you want to invite your Bible study interests. And that means that you need Bible study interests. So prior to meetings, sometime a few months or four months or so before meetings, I usually recommend doing a large Bible study card mailing and having Bible study interests that you begin to work with because they're great if you have some to invite to an evangelistic meeting. So you want to stir up, we call it pre-work. You want to stir up as much Bible study interest as you can for invitations to the meetings. Invite inactive and former members. Mark talked yesterday about uh, missing member ministry. Well, you send a letter um, and invite every missing member to evangelistic meetings. Or you personally visit with a flyer every missing member. And this is all things that you can do, by the way, um, and this you would put on your calendar, but a personal ministries leader who's looking forward to evangelistic meetings might three months ahead of time have a schedule put out that, that maybe every second or third week they're going to take Sabbath afternoon and they're going to go out and give invitations to missing members. And so they've got the list and these are things that have to be thought of when? Well ahead of time in order for it to happen and for it to be a success. And let me just say something right here because I know what some of you are thinking. Man, that sounds like a lot of work. And I know what's going to happen. We're going to do all this work and nobody's going to show up. I was not a pastor yet. I was a layperson, a personal ministries leader in Westerville, Ohio. And we decided to do Net 99 with Doug Batchelor. We talked the pastor into it. And he was not really that much of an evangelistic pastor. So he had me come to the board and share why I thought we should do it. And I said, well, for one thing, we haven't done anything like this in about 15 years. <laughs> anyway, so I gave my selling points and the board decided, okay, we'll do it. Well, we went out that summer every Sabbath and, and went door to door and tried to get Bible study interests. And we did. We got a number of interests. And we, we, we invited them all to the meetings. Opening night of the meetings. How many people do you think we got from those uh, people we visited all through the summer? Zero. You know what else happened though? The church was full. Packed. It was in the church. The church was packed out with guests. And I learned something that summer. I don't really know, and quite frankly, I guess I don't really care where the interests come from. But I know that if I'm faithful to work for the Lord and to put my heart into what I'm doing, that the Lord will bless those efforts. So don't sit there and think, oh, it's all for naught, whatever. That is why we fail. Put your heart into it and say with those Hebrew worthies, if the Lord wants to give me a big crowd, then He can give me a big crowd. But even if He doesn't, I'm going to do the will of the Lord. Even if He doesn't, I'm going to put my whole heart into this. 
because He's worth it. And that type of spirit, the Lord will bless. That type of attitude, the Lord will bless. Many of our churches do not experience the type of blessing that they want in part because their hearts are not in it. And so I'm just encouraging you. I'm not, I'm not promising you anything. I'm not guaranteeing you a single thing. But I'm telling you that we should do our best and that the Lord tends to reward those who give Him their best. So, also invite those in your personal sphere. We've talked about that. So, church event interest, Bible study interest, inactive former members, and or personal spheres, all your friends, coworkers, whatever. And that's where you do something like Operation Andrew with all the members. And then you invite the community with mass advertising. Okay, that's your mailings. That's your billboards, etc. Offer pre-registration gift and point everyone to the website pre-registration. So here's your building attendance. It all has to do with inviting everyone. Okay, you get the idea? We've te- we tend to just, oh, did the mailings go out? You know, and maybe we, oh, I heard that, whatever, and we invite one person or something. We have to plan ahead and invite everyone we know and try to get as much activity as we can. Then during the series, you're not, necessarily trying to build attendance you're trying to build interest okay during the meetings you're trying to build and maintain the interest so the first thing you need to remember is to track your attendance and while you're tracking your attendance keep a record of your interactions and the interest of the people okay this is important because Let me just say something that um, is a real key to the difference between a successful meeting and a not successful meeting. If a meeting is an effort of soul winning, it will have a much better effort of being successful than a meeting that is a well-run program. Some people are thinking about the program running smoothly And that's their focus. But that's not your focus. Your focus is soul winning. Everything is about the connections with the people. So that means that you have to track attendance. Why do you have to track attendance? What's that? Okay, those people are important, but why do you need to know their attendance? You're monitoring their interest. Why do you need to monitor their interest? It, it makes a difference in how you follow up with them, right? Exactly. You'll know which ones they missed. You know which ones you have to go over later. You know which ones have been tracking with you all along. You know to a, some degree you're starting to, to make some guesses as to who's your A interest that you're going to focus on, who's your etc. So during the beginning of the meeting, okay, you're talking about during the series, In the beginning of the meeting, you actually are still trying to build your attendance to some degree, okay? That first week of the meeting. But after that, you're focusing on the guests who are there. So uh, you need to make sure you track attendance, and then you need to review that attendance. I always reviewed my attendance report daily, okay? Now, if the pastor's not doing that, and the coordinator's not doing that, and you're not doing that, then nobody's doing that. So don't expect, I would just encourage you on some of these things that I'm sharing with you, you could probably ask to do that kind of thing if you're involved in the meetings. I don't think anybody's going to tell you you can't. So don't just expect that somebody else is going to do it. I'd encourage you, start getting into the mindset of soul winning in an evangelistic meeting. And that involves, I would have my uh, registration and tracker input the tracking that night, and they would let me know before I went to bed at night that I could update it and see it on my screen. I would know who came, and I would already be evaluating it for the purpose of who I was going to talk to the next night, who I was going to visit, how, just kind of getting an idea, understanding, because you got to study it you got to actually try to learn what the patterns are and who the people are. 
So review the attendance report. I talk to pastors who never even look at their attendance report. And I think, you don't ever look at your attendance report? You don't ever, you don't know, like I think I know, you know, they come regularly and they, but there's people that you don't notice. You know, yeah, you might notice these two people that you always see and they stand out in a certain way, but there's other people that you might not notice. So it's important to review it. Contact non-attending pre-registrants and personal invites. This is during week one. So I usually recommend, you know, about three days in or after two nights. So let's say you've got uh, uh, 50 people pre-registered. What do you do after two nights? You take your attendance report and you look at your attendance report and you print out your pre-registration list. And what do you do? You compare and you find out which of the people on your pre-registration list have not yet attended in the first two nights? What are you going to do? You're going to contact them. You're going to contact every single one who pre-registered but has not attended. Hi, yeah, I'm calling. Yeah, you had pre-registered for Unlock Revelation. We just wanted to let you know that it's still not too late to come and we have materials waiting for you. And, oh, I didn't know. What time is that again? You know, a lot of times you get people that way. People are absent-minded. They're whatever. And, and you, you remember when Jesus, after he you know, fed the 5,000, he had the disciples do something very special. What was it? Gather up the fragments. There's a big lesson in that for us. We are so wasteful with interests. We're so wasteful with them. We don't thoroughly make sure that we made every effort. And if we would it would oftentimes make the difference between two baptisms and four baptisms, five and ten. I mean, it, it makes a difference. All the little details add up. And so one of those details is to call or contact those people who pre-registered and find out if you can get some of them. The other ones who don't ever come back, you will eventually go visit them anyway. <laughs> And you will say, you know, I know you missed the meetings, but we have the materials here, and we also be happy to sit down and go over some of these things with you in a personal Bible study. If you'd be interested in that, oh, you're not? Well, here's some materials that we can drop off with you every week. Oh, you'd be interested in that? Okay, you know, whatever you can get, you try to get with every interest, even if they never came to your meeting. Okay, that's going to happen later. But during that first week, you make contact and invite them back to the meeting. Same with people you personally invited. You tell all your members. If you personally invited somebody and they did not come those first two nights, make sure you make contact and ask them again. Tell them it's still not too late. Here's what happens. After the first week, you start entering into uh, testing truths. Okay, Sometimes at the end of the first week. So it's better to start focusing on the group that you have. Having said that, you're always going to have new people who come during that time, and many times they're our best interest, and we're like, oh no, they came on the mark of the beast, and they're like, wow, that was incredible, and everything works out. Um, but you don't necessarily plan it that way. You want to get them in that first week as much as possible to build that foundation. So that's building attendance in that first week. Okay, I saw your hand. I was going to say, I know one of y'all up here, but if I get a phone call from a number I don't know about my answer, mm -hmm. I hope they leave me a message to let me know who it actually is. Mm -hmm. So you can leave a message. You know, sometimes voicemails are not set up. Yeah. I probably, let me say this too, I spoke too fast because most pre-registration, you get the email address. And so you're going to have to email or if they give an address, you're going to have to visit or, and you can do a pop by visit. I have done that. You, it's a pop visit though. It's not a enter the house visit. And, you know, people will invite you in sometimes, but I sometimes, with certain scenarios, don't even go in if they invite me because they're thinking they have to be polite, but they really still are feeling like you shouldn't have come unannounced. And so you just say, you know, I, no, really, I don't want to, but I just want to let you know that da 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 and then you're done. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I say that kind of thing with Bible study offer all the time. Yeah, we're in your neighborhood regularly, so, you know, so it doesn't seem like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you might not be able to say that about the one you were telling me about. Um, okay, so I mentioned send weekly letters. Okay, this I, the idea of the weekly letter, and there are some samples, I think, that Pastor Pepper still has available, where you can, to all your existing guests, you can still have, like, 
or the next four nights, we're going to cover these topics. And it just reminds them in their mail, they get this thing. It reminds them of what's coming in the next week. And it also, if you want them there, especially for a particular night, like the Sabbath, let's say, you can put in there a little asterisk and say, those who come on this night will receive a special gift of such and such and have some other special gift on the specific nights you're really trying to pull them. So I always do that in my weekly letter. You contact your missing guests. This is during, throughout the meetings. Now, you know, during the, during the first part, you especially do this in the, going into the second, in the, around the second week. But, you know, if they miss two nights, especially if they all of a sudden after the Antichrist, they miss two nights, let's say, or right after the Sabbath, they miss two nights, then you want to get to them. You want to find out if, if there was an issue with the message itself. Um, but, uh, but then throughout the meetings, you know, you're making sure you make contact with everyone at some point who has just stopped coming. And then it's important during the meetings, perhaps most important, to visit with the attending guests. Now, I'll tell you, early on when I was doing evangelistic meetings, I was... <laughs> I was so afraid about the, um, you know, getting asked questions about things that I wasn't prepared to talk about yet, that I didn't like to mingle a lot in the beginning. You know, like I would, I would, you know, just shake the hand, shake the hand. Oh, so see you tomorrow night. Oh, so nice to see you. Okay, God bless you. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and then I learned that the risk is far outweighed by the reward of being personable with everyone right from the start. So you mingle with people right from the start. Start, start talking to them. And even if you're at a neutral site and you've just advertised this as something and they don't know it's Seventh-day Adventist, if they ask you point blank, you say, yes, this is put on by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. If they don't ask you, you don't need to share that until the time comes. But ultimate, ultimately, it doesn't matter. I mean, if somebody is is uh, uh, going to be upset about something you believe or because of your church or whatever it might be. Um, and they've got some question that they want to throw out right from the start. The number of those people is so small compared to the number of people who actually are really excited to be there and, and wanting to interact with the speaker and what have you. So just be relatable right from the beginning. And then as the meetings go on, um, you want to make sure that people are visited with. Now, I don't know, how many of you do in your churches have done round table type of meetings? Okay, so a handful of you. Um, that kind of forces you to be relatable. What I try to tell people is you don't have to have round tables to interact with people. <laughs> so it kind of forces the thought but you don't need that thought. You interact with people after meetings. And it, what's that? Yeah, it really is. So, so I encourage people to be interacting. And, and then the speaker and, and those who are involved in visitation, which should be as many of you as can be, uh, should especially make sure that you're making select, you know, after a meeting, it's like a, it's like a science. You're going to people, you're talking to them, and you, you're glad to find out a little of where they are, and then you don't spend much more time with them. <laughs> Why? Because you've got a bunch of other people you've got to get to. You can only get to so many people, and you might have 40, 50 guests, and if you spend 20 minutes, oh yeah, great, I, I got to know this person really well, but you missed out on a lot, and you could have probably accomplished what you needed to in a few minutes, and then, you know, you can gauge it, but ultimately you are trying to get to other people. Before it's all said and done, you want to learn as many people as possible and be personable with as many people as possible. So you're trying to find out where they're at. And at the end of a meeting, we would often circle around and with the staff and talk about the people. Okay, did anybody have any conversations with anybody? Tell me about what conversation you had. What did you learn? And I'll tell you specifically one place that I always went to find out what the conversations with the people were. But you are having to learn about the people. You're going, trying to get as much information as you can. It's important for the ultimate decision you're trying to gain. 
So you want to, and I would also set up, I would schedule meetings at the meeting hall, whether it was the church or somewhere else. I would let everybody know from the front that I would like to visit with everyone at some point just to see how they're taking the meetings and to get their feedback. And then I would schedule it after a meeting. Oh, hey, could I meet with you? Maybe tomorrow or night you could come uh, 15 minutes early or maybe at 6.30 and when we start at 7.15, maybe you could come at 6.30. And I would set them up. Like I, I would usually be able to get two different meetings in before the meeting. So at 6 and 6.30, and then my meeting would start at 7.15. Um, and, or maybe I only have 15-minute meetings, and I do it at 6.30 and 6.45. But the idea is I'm wanting to meet with as many people as possible, and then others, and at some point I'll visit them in their homes on off nights. But you're trying, to, you cannot win people without talking to people. You cannot win people without knowing what the issues are, without really pressing to get to know them. And so there's no workaround for this. There's no substitute for this. The, the speaker standing up from the front and speaking to the people does not win their souls. Okay, You win their souls. The, the, the personal interaction and, leading and, and gaining the decision and finding out where they're at, you know, there needs to be more intentional effort at interacting with the people. If you talk to any good evangelist who's had any success, they're visiting all the time. They are interacting with the people. That's what actually wins people. So you can't substitute it. That's during the meeting. One of the best things that I have used through the years is a resource table at my meetings. I will buy a bunch of resources. The problem is you can't put all your resources out on a table on night one because you've got resources about the Sabbath, resources about the state of the dead, whatever you haven't presented it yet. So what does that mean you have to do? You have a schedule of, for your resource table coordinator of when the resources you have are to be put out and how much each one is to be sold. But we would sell them at cost. We would just put them out and sell them at cost. And they would buy them up, man. I mean, and here's what I like about it. A couple things I like about it. Number one, it helps reinforce what they're learning and reinforce their decisions because they're reading it now. They're getting it and reading it later, and they're, they're being reinforced. Number two, it's causing them to linger more, and they are talking. That person who runs the resource table is one of the most important people in my meeting because after the meeting, I always, as I was telling you, there's a specific individual I always ask about. Oh, of course, the registration table, they get a lot of conversation, but it's, a lot of times that's quick there and gone. But I will always ask the resource table person, did you have any good conversations? Because they get some, because it's not just conversation, but conversation over uh, the truth. You know, it's over a resource. So I find out from them, what did you learn? We know, and they often will say, well, I don't think so-and-so is actually as solid an interest as we thought. I heard him, you know, they were sharing with me such and such. Or so-and-so is so on fire. They, are, they thought this was, and they're telling you all this. This is valuable information. And you keep record of all this because it determines whether an interest is an A interest, a B interest, or a C interest. And you're going to determine who you visit and who you spend your most time and resources on based on the qualifying of your interests. Yes? So you would sell the resources as opposed to giving them away? I can't afford to give them away. It's a significant amount. I mean, when you see how much they... The other thing that I always did was record my messages and sold them. So all of my messages would go out like, oh, and that would be the first thing they go for. Oh, where's last night's? Oh, okay. Or if they missed a night, oh, and the handout and the, and the DVD or CD was right there. And so I had a, a staff, you know, an AV guy, basically, who would run stuff. And he'd be working every day to run 10 CDs or DVDs so that they could be sold the following night or on the off night, or whatever. So you have a team. They, they have a team. There's all these different teams that are responsible for different things. Resource table, we might have somebody who's leading it and somebody else who would also be there to alternate with them or to help them or whatever. Yes? Yes, that's true. Versus free stuff. You know? If it's free, they're just taking, they'll all be gone too because people would take 10. You know? Whereas when they have to buy it, you know, it's going to make sure that they leave it for others. Yeah, did I see another hand? 
Yes. When we did Unlock Revelation in Ohio, we did it with Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, we we sold a thousand DVDs and CDs. Yeah. For, like a dollar a piece. Yeah. People just every night they bought them. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. That's valuable. That's stuff that is reinforcing everything that they're learning too. Um, users. Yeah, you sell them for cost. You're not making money on it. Right. Yes. I wouldn't say that's um, out of the question. Um, you know, we've done uh, streaming, live streaming of our meetings. So it's just a question of whether you do it on Facebook or do. Yeah, the website, you know. Mm -hmm. you know but I, don't know, I wouldn't ever have The challenge is. Yeah, whenever we did streaming, and that's another form of streaming, um, we encouraged the pastors to say, okay, we're going to make this available on the website, but don't advertise it at your meetings, because then people are going to just, a lot of them are just going to stay home and, and watch that. But if you learn that somebody is, you know, sometimes I would have people, you know, I'm going to Florida for two weeks after this meeting, and this would be my last one. And I'll say, oh, here you go. Here's a card with a little link, and you can go watch it and make it a little more selective. Um, using response cards is important. Um, you can make calls you know, for people to come forward and those types of things, but response cards give you a regular feedback on where people are in terms of making decisions. You get their name and you get the decisions that they're and where they're at on certain things. So those response, the response cards, I would comb through them and I would sort them and then you use those as reason to visit with someone. So, hey, I noticed last night that, uh, that you marked that you uh, were interested in knowing more about such and such. Or I noticed that you said that you uh, were wanting to keep the Sabbath. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I wanted to know if I could visit with you for just a few minutes. For, oh, okay. It gives you a reason to visit with people. And don't do this. Don't have response cards where they make these big decisions and then never talk to them. You know, the whole point is, this is why I, I tell you this is a soul-winning endeavor. We're not just doing a putting on a program. So you need to have, make sure you have plans in place to follow up the response cards when you use response cards. Start baptismal classes. Um, if you start your baptismal classes during your meeting, which I recommend, it's helpful because it kind of makes sure you're going to keep them afterwards. So I really encourage starting toward the end of your meeting, going in and starting your because you're making a decision for baptism during the meetings. So you let them know. And what I would often do is, if I was going to have my meeting start at 7.15, I'd say, starting tomorrow night, we're going to start meeting at 6.30. And we're going to have a special class. It's a doctrinal class. Some people have shown interest in baptism. Others just would like to know a little bit more about what... Uh, about some fundamental teachings of the Bible. So everyone is invited, and we're going to start at 6.30, and we'll start our regular meeting at 7.15, just like usual. And then you personally invite all the people who marked that they were interested in baptism. You personally invite all of them, and you try to make sure they're there, but then you've also opened it up so that all the future decisions <laughs> that might be out there might also come and be part of the class. So I really encourage it. Not, you know, people... Um, I don't want to say it's not common that people want to do it, but I found success with it. So I would really encourage you to do it when you can. Okay, let me just briefly go into after the series because I'm running out of time. So after the series, you should have, I think I mentioned already, phase two meetings, something that you can invite them to while the meetings are still going on so that you can keep them connected after the meetings. So if I'm going Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Sabbath morning, I might switch that to Tuesday night. Thursday night, Sabbath morning. So just I'll shave off Monday. Um, I'll, I'll make sure that I taper it, but don't take it all the way down to just church and prayer meeting. You know what I'm saying? Because I want it to be just a little bit more than that, but not as much as they were going. It's nice to have twice a week in there plus Sabbath, because then if they miss... See, if you do, like let's say you do, let's say they're not ready to come to church yet, but they're coming to follow-up meetings. And, they, and you, so you have follow-up meetings on Wednesday and Sabbath. Well, they're not ready to come to church, so they're not coming on Sabbath, and they miss a Wednesday. How long are they gone now? Two weeks. You just missed them for two weeks, and guess what? If you missed them for two weeks, 
they're probably gone. In many cases, they're gone. So that's why I like the twice plus Sabbath, because if they're not ready to come for Sabbath, I've got two chances during the week. And it helps keep a little bit more continuity. Okay, um, It does mean that the saints have to wait a little longer to start back up their regular Wednesday night, and they have to support what's happening on Tuesday and Thursday. But I think it's worth it, at least for another four weeks or so. Then finish, also after the series, you're going to finish now because you started your baptismal classes at the end of the meetings. Now you're going to finish your baptismal preparation. You're going to make sure that all your A interests who made a decision for baptism, that you're working those. Those are your priority. Okay, all You're working those. You're also, after baptisms, uh, making sure that these people are paired up with mentors because the week after they are baptized, you want them to start being mentored through uh a discipleship plan. Yes. So during the baptism preparation time, um, and for the during and after, are you going over the like certain Bible studies or in-depth Bible studies to improve what they're learning during the series? Yeah. So it's it's a little tricky, but um, but I will do a couple of doctrines each evening probably, um, and. Ultimately, um, you know that there are people who, you're looking at your, at your people who marked for baptism, and when, as soon as I see when someone is marked for baptism, I go and I look and see which nights they have missed. Because I want to know, oh, they never even heard anything about the state of the dead, so I know that's going to be key. I know they never heard this. And what I'll do is I'll just do the baptismal preparation as if I would with anybody um, right from the start, and I'll just cover a couple of doctrines at a time. I'm not going into huge depth, but I'm making sure I'm making the points clear. Now we've developed a baptismal preparation guide called Fundamentals of Faith that is perfect for that. You just go through it, and if they have that, they're gonna—they're not going to miss anything. So you've got that made up already. Yes, and you can get it at the ABC, right? In the next couple of months, there's going to be a GC version released uh, through the Review and Herald, but it's—we're working on the cover getting the right cover paper. But anyway, it'll be released soon. <laughs> Printed by Pacific Press, and then it'll be in the ABCs. But ultimately, that's what we use. And, and when you get to a later portion where you're starting to get into more practical stuff, oftentimes I'll start meeting with them individually for baptismal preparation. So the class works with a lot of the doctrinal stuff, but when I start getting into stuff like, you know, unclean meats and jewelry and... Uh, tithe and etc. I will often be meeting with them personally, so that it's not quite as public of a of a setting. And plus, because at that point, I need to find out. Okay, where are we on all of this? You know, we've been going as a group through this process, but now let's look together at the whole thing and tell me which of these areas do you still have questions about? And you know, I'll make sure I'm start covering it and filling in the blanks with whoever I'm meeting with individually. So, I mean, and you have to get elders involved in that, you get other people involved in that, and you make sure you clear everyone for baptism faithfully. But you can, you can get it done. And then, and this is what, Mom, you were bringing up, visit everyone else. So I'm working primarily after the meetings with my A interests, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's mostly A interests, because I'm trying to get those decisions. They are ripe. I want to make sure they make that decision. I'm, I'm also maybe trying to get those B interests to be sure they come to the follow-up meetings or whatever. But there's a whole lot of other interests on that page that maybe we made a call to or a visit to. They didn't come back. But we now need to go to every single person who pre-registered but didn't attend or who attended but stopped coming. And we need to offer Bible studies or invite them to some church event that may be coming up so that nobody falls through the cracks. Your entire calendar and plan includes all of that. You are not done until you have done that. You understand? So we can't, I mean, there's a process for these interests. We've got to bind, Ellen White would call it binding up the interest. And that's why, you know, we don't uh, want to just rush off because um, we'll find that, as Ellen White says, we can sometimes make the soil uh, a more luxuriant, how does she say it? Uh, give the weeds, yes, give the weeds a more luxuriant growth. 
In other words, we just tilled the soil up just enough for the weeds to grow instead of finishing it and doing it right. And so this is the things that I've focused on here. I didn't talk about registration. I didn't talk about what are the things that I focused on here? People, souls. Here's what you do with the souls to get attendance before the meetings. Here's what you do to focus on the souls during the meeting. Here's what you do to bind up the souls and to make sure that you're getting every last bit out of the ones of the interest that were entrusted to you after the meetings. This is what really drives and brings about the success of meetings more than anything else. Will this be on the uh, website that they... Uh, uh, Mark, I, I can put this, like just give this uh, PowerPoint to you and you can put it in the folder or something. Yeah, we'll put it in the folder. All right. Thank you so much for your attention. I hope that the Lord blesses you in your endeavors, both personal and public. When both are combined, a more thorough work can be wrought. Isn't that right? All right. If you have any questions, you can ask me afterwards. Let's go ahead and finish with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time we've had to focus on keys to having successful public evangelistic meetings. Lord, we know it's been proven that souls are still won effectively through this method. But Lord, we must combine uh, careful personal labor with our public evangelistic meetings. So help us in everything we do to be faithful and we ask for the blessing of God as we, uh, as we make all of our efforts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.